The Viewpoint is leading the conversation all across South Africa right now. Stay tuned to SAFM. on SAFM. I beg your pardon for the mispronunciation. It's not Seliso, it's Tediso Tipanyan, CEO of the South African Human Rights Commission. He's an advocate and he presides over the institution that really should ensure that we don't have to have a conference on racism. But here we are, National Conference on Racism, recently held last week. Tediso, good evening. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Uh, good evening. How are you? To you and to your listeners. Are you well? I'm well. We're doing the conference tomorrow. <laughs> oh, is it tomorrow? Oh, good. Jolly, yeah. jolly good. So yeah. what's in no store problem. for tomorrow? These, uh, you, you're right, I got my dates mixed up. The 22nd is tomorrow. It's the 21st today. Now, just tell us about the conference, the platform, the invited speakers, the theme of the conference, and exactly what you're working to establish from the conference beyond. Yeah. Well, this is actually our second conference since the first one we had uh, in 2017. Uh, on, on racism and uh, the concerns really are around uh, uh, increasing racial polarization. Uh, and uh, you'll recall that you know our constitution uh, is very clear uh, on the founding values sure of our country. Hello, I'm here. Okay, now say you know in terms of the constitution, uh, the values, <clears throat> uh, the founding values of our country is that you know we should work towards a non-racial society. Uh, and therefore, 25 years later, uh, we as a commission were quite concerned about, you know, uh, the challenges around uh, this phenomena. And therefore, the conference is really about, you know, to reflect on the past, uh, look at the current challenges, and see how we can deal with emerging problems in order to really, uh, you know, try and realize uh, this dream of a, of a non-racial society where people are not judged by the color of their skin, but mm. by the content of their characters. I have an it's SMS. Well, I have an SMS coming through from one of our listeners here. Her name is Pearl Polo. She says, "I see that the theme is towards social cohesion, non-racialism, and the eradication of radical polarization and tension." She goes on to say, and I'm going to paraphrase this message because it is a bit long. She says, "For so long as the infrastructure and architecture of the country resembles most things pre-1994, these sorts of conversations would prevail." I tend to agree with her, given the fact that a lot of the progress that was promised in the advent of 1994, if we are being honest with ourselves as a society, there have been a lot of targets missed. And perhaps that's why we still have to grapple with such conferences tackling racism. It is a pity, uh, but also the global phenomenon. You know, you look at uh, what's happening in the U.S., in Europe uh, and all over the world. That you know, uh, racism, just like uh, gender discrimination, are very much uh, entrenched uh, challenges which really require uh, much better and much more effective approaches if you want to eliminate them and eradicate them adequately uh, from society. How do we do that? Well, uh, I think you know we we do need to you know understand uh, what really informs uh, racism and what sustains it, and therefore how then do we better fight that? And I think, you know, this way we've not really done well, because to a large extent it's really about uh, uh, power structures, it's about inequalities, and as long as uh, those uh, inequalities uh, persist, 
it will be difficult really to eradicate uh, racism. Of course, we also need to speak to the attitudes and educate people and to understand that, you know, uh, this is all just the false signs. The social, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wrong and dangerous social construction which has to be changed. Uh, so the mindset is also very important, but also then the changing of the structures in our society uh, will go a long way. But this conversation, more especially with the one predicated on the false assumptions that racism is built on, cannot be tackled and certainly cannot be tackled successfully if its contributory factors are not. For instance, the structure of the economy, its spread and all things consistent with a more equitable society. I say this in the light of the fact that if you look at the Gini coefficient of the world, South Africa is at about 0.6, 0.7 possibly. And what that essentially means is we are one of, if not the most unequal society in the world. For so long as the lived experience of the majority of South Africans then is consistent with a world of inequality, a place where resources are the sole reserve of some and not for the majority, it invariably is going to be an ongoing conversation which might be discussed through the prism of racism, whereas essentially there are far deeper questions of the society in which we live that ought to be tackled. No, definitely. I think a better understanding uh, of racism is really important. So it's not just a, a behavioral issue, which is not informed by anything. And I think in the past 25 years, you know, uh, to talk and tackle racism has become a little bit of a, a no-no, it's embarrassing, but it's a lived reality of our country. And and as I'm saying, you know, as I was saying earlier on, maybe we didn't really take a, a much more effective approaches uh, towards this. You know, we talk of the rainbow nation, a new country, but then we forgot that if the foundations of what sustains and perpetuates racism are still here, we're going to battle. And this is a challenge, as I was saying, in the U.S., uh, in many parts of the world. In South Africa, talking about tackling racism, one of the early signs that we were on the right track, whether or not it has yielded the fruit and benefit is something for another day. Perhaps the listeners will engage us. But the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was in the which was within the remit of the Department of Justice, one might argue, and we have heard a few times on this platform, including from prominent names in law and in the walk towards justice. For instance, Advocate Dumisan Tsebeza saying that the work of the TRC was not complete. It certainly is a project that does evolve. One cannot gainsay that. Would there be merit then in re-establishing a TRC, given the fact that just today there was a pronouncement by the Supreme Court of Appeal that a permanent stay on prosecution against Jao Rodriguez, who is one of the police officers who is responsible for the death of Mr. Timo in the 1970s, 80s. Apparently he flew because he fell from the sixth floor. Those stories, there are many of them. The pain is as deep for those affected by those stories. Neil Agate is another story. So in other words, the uncovering of past pain and hurt is and should be the ongoing project of building a society, a constitutional order in particular. I've asked this question with you to consider its response, please, after the ad break, where then we will also take a couple of calls. Advocate City so Tipanyana, CEO of South African Human Rights Commission, after the break is going to tell us about the work of the TRC and perhaps how South Africa has since operated from the TRC. One or two things might need to be revisited after the break. 
on SAFM. Certainly, we are back. 2043, we're hoping to field some calls. Johannesburg 714-2006 is the number to dial. The discussion is the South African Human Rights Commission holds tomorrow the National Conference on Racism. Joining us on the line is the CEO of the Commission Advocate, Tsidi Sotipanyan, is also the head of the institution. I asked a question, quite a long-winded one, but necessary one for you to engage before the break, now that you've had a bit of time to engage it. Your response to that, please, Sidis. Well, look, uh, the TRC uh, was important. It has its time and place in history, uh, but I don't think we could go back there. The issue is, you know, after many of those revelations in the TRC, what did we do? And I think we made uh, a massive uh, fundamental mistake. We TRC mainly focused on uh, you know the physical aspects, the torture, and the the killings, but not the psychological impact of apartheid, and not adequately the economic aspects of apartheid. And if we don't address those two issues, then uh, we'll have to go back to square one. So I think what is important for us as a country is basically to have a deeper reflection and find better ways of eradicating uh, this terrible. Uh, phenomenon in our country. And so, that for me then is the issue of the attitude, but also the the, the structures uh, which sustain apartheid, economic inequalities, the issues of land. The, yeah. Well, what are your opinions on that? I mean, the structure of the economy, what in the course of the work that you have done for the life of this democratic project, are you picking up as things which just keep recurring and all because the question of the structure of the economic environment is not being attended to? You mentioned land. What is then the feeling of the South African Human Rights Commission insofar as it relates to hearing things like expropriation of land without compensation, which on the face of it, one will say this is quite consistent with Section 25 of the Property Clause of the Constitution because you can expropriate and you can expropriate for the public benefit as long as it's a law of general application. Where do we get a sense as to what the position of the Human Rights Commission insofar as it relates to that? Because it is an organization, yes, that should respond and sort of create the tone for how human rights in South Africa ought to be treated. But certainly from an advocacy perspective, we ought to also be hearing what its perspectives are in line with its mandate as well as the constitution that establishes it. Yeah. Well, we support an equitable uh, distribution of land, uh, including, of course, historical basis that, you know, if people don't have uh, access to land properly and able to earn a living, it then perpetuates the inequalities. But secondly, you know, over the past 25 years, we have a situation of a country now where we are one of the most unequal countries in the world in terms of wealth. We have over 70% of black people living in poverty in the, the second uh, biggest economy in Africa. So which shows that 25 years we have not done enough to address these issues. Now, of course, the Human Rights Commission does monitor socioeconomic rights. We raise these issues to government every year. I was head of research for eight years from 1996, uh, and where we are writing annual reports on the status of socioeconomic rights, land and housing. Unfortunately, uh, I think that you know our recommendations and what we've been saying has not been listened to adequately. And that's why 25 years later, we have these massive levels of, of unemployment, poverty in our country, and of course, COVID-19 has made things worse. And that's why people have been uh, clamoring for uh, expropriation of land without compensation. We are saying, look, Section 25 is very clear. There is enough laws in the country to basically, uh, uh, you know, uh, push for these things. 
and 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 the government has really not done adequately. If you look at Section 258, uh, it provides for laws which can be passed to address historic injustice as far as land concerned. And everybody knows that you know, in this country, uh, land was one of the biggest weapons used uh, by racists in order to uh, oppress and subjugate people. Now, of course, 25 years later, we as a government, as, as a people of this country, have not done enough, including the Commission. What does the conference do to, attra- to address all of these issues? Well, beyond based- the conversations that take place at the conference, beyond that, what should one be hopeful will happen? Well, I think the, the main objective of the conference also is to have this conversation say, colleagues, 25 years later, we're not moving forward. It's like we're going backwards. And if we're not careful, we'll end up having a much worse situation in our country in terms of violence, in terms of poverty, and maybe even undermining our old national democracy. So we do need to restart the reset button and say, how can we do better? And of course, I'm not trying to be defensive, but... This is, this, is, this, is a, this is a global problem. The U.S. is still battling to deal with issues of, of race and slavery and, and colonization and, and, and the rest of the world. But I think people are looking up to us as a country to say, listen, you guys have had a long, long struggle around these things. Maybe you have better options and better solutions. Of course, we've got good laws, we've got good, good institutions, but 25 years later, we seem to be having a problem. Let's take a call. We have Eddie in Edenvale and Anonymous in KZN. Let's start with Anonymous, please. Hello, good evening to you and your guests, Sangezo. All I want to say is that, you know, your guest is 100% correct. We haven't moved forward. We still have so much of racism amongst ourselves, regardless, you know, of what we went through in the past. Right? We we complain about the the Boers and the English white, uh, whites that were racist towards us, but today we are racist amongst ourselves, and we need to resolve that first. Um, you know, we want to be um, uh, non-racist in a rainbow in a sports field, but we don't want to be uh, in, in a business place. We don't want to be in a business place or in companies or in municipalities. We want our own kind. So it's sheerly racism. But I want to bring one thing to your notice, Angeza. I want you to do this. Uh, get, a, uh, get a book called um, Heart. I want you to find this book. It's called The Heart of the Darkness, Heart Darkness. by the novelist. Uh, the eminent novelist Joseph Conrad, and uh, it's 1902. And there are many other, uh, many more books. It's all concerning race and racism of South Africa, the social ills and the economic, uh, and also the uh, the storyteller is the late eminent C. W. D. Kiewit in his history of South Africa, social and economic. So I want you to find that book, Heart of the Darkness, by Joseph Conrad. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Anonymous and KZN. We have a couple more calls. Now it's Eddie in Edenvale, after which Sakile in Durban. Uh, Thanks very much, Sengeza, and and, uh, good evening to your guest. Uh, You know, he's he's 100% right. We haven't moved an inch forward with this this racism, and it's about time that it's dealt with harshly, and, uh, and and speedily, but I've only one one reservation which I want to put forward. I'm just sorry that what hasn't been linked to this inquiry is the scourge of xenophobia, stroke Afrophobia. I mean, you, do, you just got to listen to the talk shows, 
and you, you hear the venom and, uh, you know, it's just as dangerous. I mean, xenophobia is just as, as evil a prejudice as white ra- racism and just as dangerous. Where you have these these, these uh, farmers killing laborers on farms and so on through blatant racism, you have the same thing against uh, vulnerable uh, African migrants with, with xenophobia. It should be linked. Uh, in 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 in, in 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 this inquiry, uh, you know, hundred percent. But thanks very much for the opportunity. Great show as always, Ngeza. Thank Bye. you so much, Eddie. Very important point raised by Eddie in Edenville. Sakila in Durban. What's happening? Hey, Sonia's How are you? Good man. How's it? Ah, I'm okay, man. I'm okay. Man. I don't know if your guest saw um um an opinion by the former president Tawonti about land today. You know, about about land. Yes. What was the opinion? Refresh us, please. I I, I think the pres- the former president is not sure now if it's the right move uh, to restrict uh, land with changing the constitution. You know, it was reported like that, but I don't know if it's true. Maybe if I saw the video him explaining it, but it was reported like that on News Twenty Four. So, yeah, that's that's where we are with this thing. Um, people are not sure anymore now. You you you're seeing a backlash of 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 saying that uh, custodianship, you know, of the EFF and the ANC, they are going to meet. You know, some people are not happy now because the ANC seems to be taking a position of the EFF on this land, thing. and then uh, then uh, you see your guest should be honest. You know when he said he has not done enough. I mean, as a country, we have not done anything on this, on this, on this past 26 years or so. We have not done anything. And, 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 <laughs> yo, and you'll be lucky, guys, if you're not going to have any revolution of the youth anytime soon because it's just inevitable. You know, <laughs> the poverty. You see, when, 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 when the social uh, distress grant was distributed last year to this year, the queues at the post office, the queues at the post office, people who stand from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then don't get the grant and they come back again the following day in Devon, in the heat of Devon. Uh, I, Thank you, no, I'm with you, certainly. Mouled Mbeki has warned that whatever we saw of the Arab Spring, South Africa was on a ticking time bomb on a similar trajectory because of the questions of inequality and some of the policies that have made stillborn any effect in terms of addressing the inequality that this country does have. Tato in Makanda. Why is everybody calling now? 2054. Tato, good evening. Good evening. Good evening. So, is that, um Issues of racism are embedded in an unequal society. They're embedded in this idea that white people have embraced this non-racialism, while actually we want people to be anti-racist. And being anti-racist means examining yourself, examining your privilege, and examining your positionality within society. And I think a very big part of my white people have not done that. And the microcosm of that plays out in schools, in our schools, especially our diverse schools, where kids don't know anything but when they get to grade 10, they become slightly conscious of their race and that filters through into society. White people have not done the work. 
and let's dismiss this this debate, this academic debate of xenophobia. There is no xenophobia. Nigeria got its independence in 1950, and I think my people have a right to ask, but Utaini, the shops, Utaini, every part of our second economy is dominated by internationals. I think my South African, my poor people, 19 million people in South Africa who live on the doll, have the right to ask those questions. Yeah, ask the questions and then what? Ask the questions. What I'm saying is the, 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 the violence and, and the, reaction, the actions that we see of our people are, are come out of frustration. Nigeria got its independence in 1950. Most of these African countries got their independence 50, 70 years before South Africa. We have a right to organize ourselves, to organize our economy. And, 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 and that really speaks to, you know, the middle class sentence argument of xenophobia. Get out of Sentin, go live in Alex, and understand how the second economy works. Understand when you see a shop that your grandfather owned a few years ago is now owned by foreign national. Tell me how that hits you. I'm sorry, I'm going to indulge this question. Engage it, engage it. We will, we will happily run over into the new hour if need be. He, okay. Here's my question because I think I'm grappling with those same issues where I grew up. Okay. Household names who had those shops. Okay. Those shops are now operating exclusively out of the East African market. You know what I'm saying by that. I'm talking about yes. your Somalis and your Bangladeshis in some yes. instances, some yes. as far as China. The question yes. then is, none of those interest groups, let me call them that commercially anyway, have come with any traction of any kind that is better than what they found there that the locals themselves have grown up with. The question I'll then becomes, that. why can I, Song... I, I'll debate that. Go for it. I'll, I'll, I'll differ with that. Go for it. There are organizations that, global organizations that subsidize and that help um, those people coming in, especially if they're of the Islamic faith. There are global organizations that help them to set up businesses and they, they pay later. Even the way there's research, anthropological research that proves that. So I think I, I, I differ with that. Yeah. Even if that were true, my point is it doesn't change still. The fact that that individual will arrive in Whittlesea or Echini on the outskirts of Gramstown typically to find locals trading. However they might trade, the locals are there. The question then becomes, is it so difficult? And I'm not casting an aspersion one way or the other. What makes it difficult for the locals to organize themselves, to evolve with the times, to see this happening and treat it as a threat to their commercial interests and respond with the kind of interest that one entrenches local economy in local hands before we see the environment in which we are now in, which is very hostile to the presence of your Chinese and your Bangladeshi, Pakistani, Indian and Somali nationals? I think you're talking countries, like I'll repeat myself, you're talking countries that have been allowed to develop over time and to understand the business of money and the business of the economy. Give us, allow us, leave us to develop, leave us, give us another 20 years to that understand develop and ourselves. That development can't take place in isolation, and, though. That's a reality. You know, if we're going to live in a global village, that comes with the territory. What, so let's talk about the, whole, the concept of a global village. At whose context is that global village happening? Because it's definitely not happening at the context that's the of, point. Of, of, of Africans. That's the point. Sorry, let me move on. But that's precisely the point, Tato. It is happening. Asking those questions to try and get a philosophical question being answered is not going to address the practicality and the reality of it, which is what is happening in our neighborhoods, 
under our watch. And of course, it probably is a little bit easier for that to happen when Songhez is talking about Whittlesey from the comfort of his home in Johannesburg, working a nine-to-five job in the typical sense. Perhaps I am part of the problem. But what doesn't change is it is happening, and it's not going to abate simply because we're now engaging questions that are not going to address the reality on the ground. I've got time for William. William, you have one minute. Um, Sidiso is going to come back after the news break. Sidiso, ask you, I mean, William, ask your question, please. Uh, I just want to um, uh, say something about this xenophobic uh, business that this guy was talking about, this white guy now which spoke. His name is Eddie. You know, His name is Eddie, William. Yeah, I mean, it's so unfair towards South Africans what they are saying. The whole thing is they want to exploit these people. These people come here and they are desperate to earn a living. And the sentiment is always that South Africans are lazy and that's a big lie. Because if South Africa were lazy... Who built the malls? Who built the roads? Who built anything that you will see here in South Africa? Was it the foreigners that that that, that built here? They found this stuff here. And if you go back to their countries, look if there is infrastructure. You know. So what they say to us, South Africans are lazy. That's a big lie. Because I have some many people that went over to uh, friends of mine to London and all that. In London, they admire the South Africans, and we are hard-working people. So I don't like that they will say South Africans are lazy. They are very unfair towards South Africa. I work in the tourism industry. You see in every hotel, you see in every restaurant, it's only foreigners. Where's our people? We sit at home with, 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 with uh, degrees. And that is so, so, so unfair towards South Africans. Sure, you know? I got you, William. Let me take okay. the news break. The conversation certainly is livening up here at City, so you got some work to do after the break. Thanks for the indulgence in advance. It's time for news. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. On the viewpoint. We're back. We are live on air. It's 2105. This is The Viewpoint here on SAFM with Phineas Songhezo as well as the very troublesome this evening, the producer. Goodness gracious, I don't know what is with my dearest otherwise, Lesejo. Thank you to all those who participated in the previous hour. We have a couple of messages to read from you, the listener, particularly referring to this question on racism. One, the U.S. racism or United States racism is against a minority of blacks, whereas in South Africa, it's a majority of indigenous black voters who are the victims. Willie and Christiana goes on to say racism can't go away as long as there is so-called black and white people. Wow. Third one, it's unfair when land is thrown at white farmers. Government sits on 5,500 farms, another 1,500 community farms and agricultural parks, most unproductive and are dilapidated. Those are some of the questions that are coming through, and I think it's consistent with what our earlier participant, Ms. Pearl Polo, had said, because these comments are addressing, if you like, particularly the last one, the structure of what essentially is at play here, access to opportunity, access to capital, access to land, access to growth and development, all the things that underpin people's development and progress. Well, and 
if you are Willie and Christiana, and, and, and I would like for you to address this one, he says, blacks and whites essentially, black people and white people cannot coexist. That's, that, that's a hard statement to make, put it that way. Advocate Sidi, so your response. Yeah, let me start by saying, you know, we should also understand uh, what, the, what informs racism. It's nothing but a social construction to allow exploitation of, on, and oppression of the other. So the slavery, colonialism, and apartheid are very good examples of that. But secondly, we should also understand that, you know, racism also has a very corrosive effect. This is what Steve Biko talked about, issues of self-hatred. And we saw what happened in Rwanda between the Tutsi and the Hutus and what's happening in, in, in DRC. So in the same manner in our country now, the so-called Afrophobia also needs to be unpacked and understood in its proper context. So these are some, these are some of the, 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 the symptoms of the corrosive effect of racism, self-hatred. Uh, and therefore, this might also need a, 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 a further discussion uh, on this one, uh, which we're happy to engage in if, if, uh, the issue of, of, of Afrophobia or xenophobia and what informs it. There are many sides to it. Uh, not just, it's, just, it's, not, it's, not, it's not just a one size uh, or one part of the story. Uh, so, yes, uh, so if you understand what really informs racism, then we need to understand that if we don't address the issues of the uh, inequalities, issues of resources, then we're in trouble. The U.S. is an interesting case. Yes, African Americans are minority there, but on both sides of the Atlantic, South Africa and the U.S., here we talk about uh, a minority, economic minority, which is black people, just like in the U.S., is economic minority as well as a, a population minority. So in South Africa, even though black people are in the majority, but they control very little of the economy 25 years later. Let's talk about the point that was raised by the gentleman in Makanda, formerly Khini, Gramsdown. He says this question needs to be looked at in terms of the local economy even. And he, Well, we had a disagreement, and I'm sure you were there, if not disagreement, our exchange. What do you make of that exchange, particularly his points? Forget mine. Well, as I'm saying, you see, it is a, a, a bit of a complex, which is not a very easy one. First of all, I mean, I would want to say, you know, if you are running a government or a country, you can't just allow everybody to come in and compete with everybody else. This is not what happens in Switzerland or the U.S. So we need to control our borders to make sure that we manage the economy properly. What we have done over the last 25 years is just open the gates to everybody else. And therefore, people compete. And then if you take this, you combine it with the situations of black people in this country who are poor, who don't have jobs, then you are basically asking for trouble. But second, look at the issue of the xenophobia or Afrophobia. Who, was the, who are the victims? You see uh, white people and Chinese being chased in Fenton. is the poor black people who are struggling with poor people in Alexander. That's what we need to be addressing. So, so we can't just say, well, black people are racist. We need to understand uh, How do we address on? that? You say we need to address it. You're the, chef, you're the CEO of the Human, Human Rights Commission, so you're probably one of the people who can lead us in terms of the thinking that is necessary to address it. How do we address the so-called black-on-black violence? We produced a report after, the, after Alexander uh, xenophobic violence in 2008, and we made a number of recommendations to government. One is that what was happening in, in most uh, areas in our country where we find uh, this violence 
is largely competition for scarce resources among the lowest of our people in the country. And therefore, you need to address that. But also, you need to control the borders properly. You can't just allow people to come in here and, 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 and compete, some of, some of them without any documentation. This actually then creates a resentment. But secondly, you do need also to empower people. You can't have 70% of black South, black South Africans living in poverty without jobs. What do you expect them to do? So we do condemn the violence, but at the same time, we need to understand what informs it and be able to come up with better corrective measures. You don't have black South, rich black South Africans fighting a, 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 a rich black, a, I mean, rich a, a black foreigners. No. Yeah. I'm actually interested to find out what is said, what are some of the conversations that came out under this theme, and what we can take as a South African society in further engaging so that we can, if you like, be closer to our truth. I think it's always good to talk, and I don't dismiss the value of a conference, but more than that, we need tangible so that we can work towards a just and equitable remedy insofar as it relates ultimately to human relations for your time and everything else Titi so thank you so much for your time thank you indeed 2111 after the break we continue hashtag business of the day with Lebohang Dikojane co-founder of Smart Sentiels